0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, grant that your word might be spoken here with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Since it's my uh, second to last opportunity to give a sermon here at St. Mark's, um, I, uh, which I realized over the week as I was preparing my sermon, I thought I can give myself a little bit of leeway. Um, so normally what I would do is I would preach from the passages. That's my sort of modus operandi. Um, but today I'm going to be going sort of off script. Um, I want to look at a particular theological topic that actually runs throughout scripture. Um, and uh, and the uh, way that this came to mind in particular, I was uh, thinking about something that happened to me a few years ago. Um, before I turned 30, I made the uh, what I... Eventually realized was a very foolish decision to run a marathon um, foolish because thank you um, I know you just you really just i, I don 't have the look of a marathon runner, do I? Um, I gave myself about a year to train for it, and as it turns out, I probably could have used much much longer, um, but all the same, I was resolved to do it. I decided to do this thing I was going to run a marathon before I turned thirty, and so um, I uh, planned to do so, I trained to do so, and eventually came race day. And when it came time to actually run the race, um, when the uh, you know, starting bell went off and, and all the runners started off, it was you know, the first few miles were really exciting. Um, they felt really good, you know, they, I felt energetic, I felt positive and upbeat. I even had to pace myself because I was feeling so good that I, I knew I was tempted to run faster than I should which would end up sabotaging me later if I wasn't careful. So I kept it steady. But those first few miles felt absolutely great. Just lovely running. And then it became work. That doesn't mean it was unpleasant. Um, Most of the miles between mile five and mile 20 were fine. Um, I didn't have anything like the energy that I had at the beginning. But it was the sort of challenging that feels good. You know, you're engaged, you're kind of in a flow and you're um, carrying on and it, it, it sort of, you know, it, it feels good. Um, for that 15 mile period, I was just sort of plugging away and I could, uh, feel it becoming increasingly difficult, uh, to do so. And then the last six miles came and I'll be honest, the last six miles of that race were the most physically challenging I have ever experienced. Uh, the body does funny things when it's exhausted. You know, the, my breathing was challenged. My, my whole body was in pain. Not just my legs, but my arms, my back, my neck. I mean, everything hurt. And every step made everything hurt that much worse. And during that last six mile stretch, there was only one thing that kept me going. It was knowing that what I was experiencing, painful though it was, would not last forever, it was temporary. In fact, it was brief, all things considered. Six miles is really not that far to run, given that uh, I had trained uh, much further beyond that. There was a finish line, and even though that finish line wasn't in sight, even though I couldn't see that finish line, I could imagine it, and I could imagine how it would feel to be done, to sit down and rest my legs, to catch my breath. And so I would imagine that finish line, and I imagined that finish line over and over and over again. In those last miles, the finish line seemed impossibly far away, but I I knew that every single step I took brought me closer to that finish line. And if I could only persevere, if I could endure the pain and the effort required of moving forward, I would eventually arrive at that place. Life is not unlike a race. Several times throughout his letters, St. Paul compares the Christian life to an athletic contest. The saint is one who perseveres through that contest. The saint is the competitor who, through endurance and suffering, attains an everlasting prize. But our ability to persevere, our ability to press on through suffering, through difficulty, it all depends on whether or not we are able to imagine something that we can't see, the finish line the end, the goal. This quality, this virtue, this ability to imagine and trust in what is more real than our senses, that is what the scriptures call hope. We need hope to survive. We don't often think in terms of hope, but we need hope to survive. The Greek philosophers spoke of hope as an essential aspect of human existence, along with memory, Hope means expectation of the future. And they figured if you could look back towards the past in your memory and look forward to the future in your imagination, then you would be able to live well in the present. You could situate yourself between the past and the future. And I'm convinced that they were right. Without expectations towards the future, without some kind of picture of how things are going to work out, we cannot live in the present. The present only gains meaning when we have some conception of where it's going, what it's leading towards, what all this is about. I'm not sure there has ever been a time when hope was a more needful thing than it is now. We are desperately in need of hope as a culture. I don't need to list the discouragements of the last few years, the global catastrophes, the breakdowns of communities, the increasingly hateful and divisive rhetoric that we hear all around us, we're, we're constantly reminded of how things seem to be falling apart. And of course, we're partly to blame for all of that. The scriptures remind us that hope can be misplaced. And when hope is misplaced, we suffer devastating loss. Psalm thirty-three seventeen says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue First Timothy six seventeen says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Hope that is set on things of this world, hope that is set on riches or possessions or glory or the affirmation of others or any other thing that is uncertain. This kind of hope will inevitably fail us when we need it most. And when it fails us, we find ourselves suffering. Proverbs 13:12 says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick." Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that is exactly where many in our world find themselves, where many in our pews find themselves. Heartsick for hope, devastated by disappointments and broken down by broken promises. The people of Israel were once in a similar situation. You've all heard a particular verse from Jeremiah, and I'm willing to wager it's, uh, it's the most popular verse in Jeremiah, um, which is probably not saying much because the rest of Jeremiah is a little bit bleak. Um, but this verse is one we've all heard, Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's one of those popular Christian bumper sticker slogans, one of those mottos that you see on church signs and printed in Christian journals. And on its own, it sounds really nice. Sounds like God simply intends to improve our lives. And yet none of us can say that following Christ has made our lives easier, safer, or even at times more satisfying. If anything, following Christ means carrying our own cross. And that means that following Christ makes life in many ways more difficult, more challenging, more full of suffering. But this verse doesn't stand on its own. Even though it's often taken on its own, it doesn't stand on its own. In fact, there's a much larger message that Jeremiah is getting across here. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. These words, you see, were written not to those who were prospering and simply looking for life to go well. These words were written to those who were being torn from their homeland, torn from everything they knew and brought into a dangerous foreign place, a fearful place, a place far removed from the house of their God and the homes of their people. These words, in other words, were written for those who are suffering. And the promise is not one of those empty platitudes offered to us by the world that things are not as bad as they seem to be, or that if we look hard enough, we can find a silver lining, or that if we shift our perspective, we can say with confidence that the glass is half full. No, the promise is that there is a finish line. There is an end to our exile. God is going to set things right. And if we will seek him now in the midst of our suffering, we will see him one day in the fullness of his glory. This story of exile is not confined to the history of Israel. The early Christians would conceive of themselves also as strangers in a foreign land. People who were in the world, but not of the world. They saw themselves as a people on pilgrimage to their heavenly home. Our exile is real. We're not at home in this world. This world, in a very real sense, is not our home. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth, a restored creation made new by the work of God. We long for it. But longing is not enough. All of us long for a new creation. None of us have seen it. None of us have set eyes on it. And what do we call it when we imagine the end that we cannot see so as to give us strength to live in the present? We call it hope. In the church, our hope hinges on one thing. The resurrection of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, St. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our confidence that the end is coming and that the end is good, that's not confidence without a foundation. The foundation of that confidence is that there was once a man who died and rose again. The scriptures bear witness to it. The saints bear witness to it. And yet even the resurrection of Christ is something that we cannot see with our own eyes. We depend upon God to enlighten our imagination in such a way that we can picture in our minds what we cannot see with our eyes. What I'm saying very simply today is this. The inspired imagination cultivates hope. The inspired imagination cultivates hope. When we read the stories of Holy Scripture, when we hear the stories of the saints, when we listen to the stories of our brothers and sisters who have experienced God's love in powerful ways, when we receive the sacrament with gratitude, when we ornament our churches with beauty and rich symbolism, when we conduct our liturgies with sincerity, when we sing with fervor, when we gaze upon icons, And statues, when we listen to sermons, when we do these things, we're doing nothing less than imagining what cannot be seen. We're grasping for those spiritual realities that we cannot perceive with our eyes. We're training ourselves to picture the finish line, to live with the end in mind. We're building patience, we're building endurance, and we're building hope. The race can be hard. It can be painful. It can be exhausting. But there is an end coming. And every step brings us closer to that end. In Revelation 21, St. John gives us a picture of that end, a picture of the finish line. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And death shall be no more. Neither shall they be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, that new day is coming. Every step brings us closer to it. We cannot see with our eyes, but we can invite the Spirit of God to enlighten our imaginations and to fill our hearts with hope for the days to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.